What's up, my friends? You're listening to episode five of Hot-Blooded. I'm your host, Kat Jones, and this is my podcast where I talk to musicians about love, rock and roll, and everything else that comes up along the way. This week's guest is Brady Deeprose, who is the guitarist and vocalist of a metal band from the UK called Conjurer. And if you're not familiar with Conjurer, honestly, you should just pause this podcast right now and you should go listen to their album called Meyer. But to give you a brief rundown, they're this brutally heavy doom band with this absolutely soul-crushing, beautiful part to them that honestly sounds like a person going through all stages of grief in every song. It's obvious that they're really influenced by Yob, which he'll get to in this interview. My introduction to Conjurer happened when I was working for Kerrang! in April 2019, I believe, and Conjurer was on tour with Rivers of Nile, Entheos, and Wolf King. And Kerrang! was sponsoring the tour, and since our office was in Brooklyn, we also filmed their entire set at St. Vitus Bar, which I think is on YouTube now if you're interested. Anyway, I wasn't very familiar with Conjurer at the time, but From the moment that they stepped on stage that night, I was completely transfixed by them. And they had this blend of hardcore aggression with huge doom riffs and these like ISIS-esque dynamics that came together in like an extremely terrifying but beautiful way. And on stage, the bassist Connor Marshall would whip his hair around and rhythm with the music and Dan Nightingale, um, who is the other guitarist and vocalist. And the aforementioned Brady would trade off on vocal duties, and each of them would provide this totally different but equally terrifying sound. And the moment that I'll never forget from that show happened during a song called Hollow, when Dan stepped away from his microphone with one of the scariest looks I've ever seen on his face. And he stared right into our soul and roared an entire verse at the crowd with no microphone, no amplification whatsoever. And you could hear it loud and clear over everything in the whole bar, like the drunk conversations and the crowd cheering and all the sounds on stage. Uh, And it was a pretty loud room, so that was pretty incredible. And I remember my colleague at the time, the wonderful metal writer Chris Cravaton, turning around and looking at me with that look on his face that said, oh, holy fucking shit. And if you're a metalhead, you know that look that I'm talking about. And in that moment, Conjurer became one of our favorite bands. And shortly thereafter, they released a collaboration with their friends in a band called Pine in England called Curse These Metal Hands, which is an album of extremely uplifting metal, which is probably the exact opposite of their album Meyer or their stage show. And the band said that their whole point of the project was to make metal that induces joy. And I had a blast interviewing them for Kerrang! And I thought it was so cool they could do two things on the opposite ends of the spectrum of metal. And it seemed to me, and still seems, that there's not a lot this band can't do in the metal world. So I never forgot that. And over a year later... I had started work at my current job at The Pit, and I went to L.A. for about 48 hours to film a short documentary with a band called Contracult Collective, an industrial band that are on Roadrunner. Um, And that film actually came out last week. So again, YouTube, go find it. 
um, I tweeted something about being in town and Brady, who lives in England, who had since followed me, immediately DM'd me to tell me that his girlfriend, who is an American who lives in Los Angeles, ran this fantastic restaurant called Bon Tom and that I should go. And I didn't have time to go to her restaurant that weekend, but this very quick Twitter conversation that I had with Brady left me with so many questions. Like, how the hell did this English dude in a band that makes absolutely terrifying doom metal meet a girl who runs a restaurant in LA? And how do they make it work with two countries, 9,000 miles, and an eight-hour time difference between them? And what type of communication is necessary to keep that type of relationship going, especially when one person is touring constantly? So when I started this podcast, I knew he was the person I needed to talk to. Tell me a little bit more about Conjurer. Like, how would you describe your band? Um, this is a, a point of contention, I think, with us. Uh, we, uh, we're a, a four-piece heavy rock band from <laughs> the Midlands in the UK. And I, I'd say what the band is has evolved a lot throughout. We've been, we've been together five years. We started really myself and Dan, the other guitarist, um, through a mutual hatred of metalcore. Not so much <laughs> the genre, but more having played in metalcore bands for years and like been a part of that scene and it was so self absorbed. All the people in bands were just like, you know, ego driven and still playing to 12 people in a pub, but like just ego driven and there was no like attention to detail. And it was just like not a particularly nice scene. And we were both fed up of, of doing it. And I was actually playing in a pop punk band at the time. And I was like, I want to start a metal project and put out a, a Facebook status, social media. That's it. on the generation. Um, and I was like, I really like Black Dahlia Murder and Gajira. Um, who wants to start a band? And Dan hit me up, and I'd been a fan of fan of his previous band, Tear of Eden, uh, who were their EP is on Bandcamp. It's called As the Crows Watch Over Us, and it's like legitimately great. We put it on cool. in the van all the time. Um, but yeah, we uh, I got to work with him, and and he came to me with a couple of tracks, and I was like. I don't know what this is, but I love it. And it was really my introduction to kind of the doom sludge stoner post metal world, all of that. And even kind of like more, more into the extreme side of death metal. So anything from like Gajira and black Dahlia murder onwards, um, was really while we were starting to hang out and jam Kendra stuff. That was my musical evolution. And Dan got me into a lot of that. So, the the moment for us we actually went to see yob um it was yob paul bearer and a band called bast from the uk have, have you heard of them that name sounds familiar i oh, know paul bearer and yob very so well good. i used to live with yeah. aaron from yob in portland 
He was my roommate. No way. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. Yeah, I love oh, them well, so, so much. Oh, well, so Yobba, the reason mean like Kundra exists wow. um, in a quite a direct way. Um, so that like, we were like jamming and uh, writing stuff. And it was just like, this is our little thing. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's just kind of fun and new and exciting. And we went to, we were really into clearing the path, not clearing the path. Yes. Clearing the path, but um, the foundations of burden record. Um, Paul Bearer and we went to the Yob Paul Bearer show Bast completely blew us away watched Paul Bearer they were really good went outside and we were like should we stay for Yob like we like the Clearing the Path record but it was like it's, it's not really tell you what, we'll stay for one song we'll see what happens and we went in and like literally stood there transfixed like jaws on the floor for the whole set of, of yob and just like could not believe the intensity and like the sound from a band with one guitarist like Isn't just incredible? everything yeah and it was like unlike anything either of us had ever seen we walked away just like i want to be in a band now like i wow. i want to do I want to do that. I want to play. It was at the Underworld in London. We were like, I want to play that venue. I want to make that kind of music. I want to be better. And it was kind of, yeah, for both of us, like a really defining moment. Um, I guess Portland is a place that's very much tied in with the band and, and my kind of life. So the the other band that were a huge influence to us were uh, Arm for Apocalypse, who... Uh, out of Portland, um, out of Portland now, Chico, California, originally. Hell yeah, NorCal. Absolutely. That's where I'm from. Oh, cool. Well, I'm not from Chico. I'm from about an hour and a half south of Chico, but my dad went to college in Chico and a bunch of my family lives there and stuff. Yeah. Oh, wild. We played in a, a Ike's Love and Sandwich shop in Chico oh, on wow. a day off on our last tour. That's incredible. Yeah, was, that must have been so much was, fun. It was sick. That yeah, town like parties. 50 kids turned up. Yeah, it was wild. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Um, but yeah, so those guys are based out of Portland as well. And and like De- one of the bands that Dan got me into when we started and their first record, Defeat, was instrumental in like, there's loads of Kundra stuff ripped off from that, that album. Um, stuff we didn't even mean to rip off. It was just like so imprinted in the fabric of what we did was listening to this record and um we like played some shows with them when they came over to the UK and now their drummer Nick is our driver in the States and we're like incredible really fucking good friends and um so I met my partner through Nick he's uh, she's his best friend and used to work for her in Portland so like everything kind of through this band and now through Portland has led me to the person I'm probably going to talk about a bunch on this podcast <laughs> Well, so that's a perfect segue for us to move into talking about her. So, yeah. so you met her when you were on tour, this last, the same tour that I saw you on at St. Vitus Bar, right? With Rivers of Nile. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So tell me about that. So Nick from Armed, who I refer to as Nick from now on. Um, <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. He... Uh, <laughs> he <laughs> was like, I'll, I'll sort out, you know, wherever we are in the States, we, we're going to get like, I think we stayed in like comfort inns or roadway inns for most of the time. And it was like rough. 
Um, but better than sleeping in, in the van. Um, so, you know. A small step uh, But he was like, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, but he was like, yeah, I'll find um, accommodation where I can with people because he's been touring across the States for years and I said to friends. And um, he was, I think, crashing in the spare room at uh, Sam's house in Portland, which is who's my partner, Sam. Um, and we turned up at like 2 a.m., and um, <laughs> my ex-girlfriend was actually on tour with us at the time. I'd flown out for a couple of weeks. So uh, me and my ex-girlfriend slept on Sam's sofa that night and, like, woke up. And I have loads of photos of me and her and her dog, like, just, like, hanging out and her cat. And there's a photo of me stood in my underwear in her kitchen with her dog. <laughs> from like uh, roughly this time last year and we ended up leaving uh, like we did a bunch of laundry and it was like a lifesaver at that point amazing and then we we kind of head off and go back in uh so for the revocation tour which was september october get to portland and sam's moved to la to open uh this restaurant and nick is now living in her room so that night, me and Nick shared her bed and do our laundry again. And we get to the LA show. And Sam's like, oh, my uh, Nick's like, oh, my friend Sam is going to come to the to the show. It's like, cool. He's like, you stayed at her house in Portland like twice. I was like, oh, cool. That's Sam. Yeah. You know, whatever. Like, <laughs> sure. Some great. random girl's going to um, come to our show. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Cool. Um, so she turns up long after we've played uh, and is in the dressing room. And <laughs> I was kind of ill, uh, as I often get ill on tour because I fucking suck. Um, <laughs> and I was also, we'd had such a good show. It was the best show of the tour. And I was like, fuck it, I'm getting hammered regardless. So I was, got kind of drunk and went backstage and Nick and Sam and Connor were up there. And I was like, hi. And it was like, this is Sam. I was like, oh, hi. He was like, no, this is Sam. I was like, oh, hi, how's it going? And, you know, like be polite. Someone that's let us sleep in their house multiple times. Um, we just got chatting and I took some photos of her and Nick. So I said they're long-term best friends. And um, she was like, oh, you should come to our restaurant the next, you know, tomorrow morning before you leave the city, uh, come have breakfast and, you know, um, hang out. We were like, yeah, cool, sure. I pushed hard for the breakfast, not because of her, but like it felt like an invitation to a free breakfast, which was <laughs> really kind of like top of the top of the list of requirements for us at that point. Um, and all we knew is it was a really fancy restaurant. So I was like free breakfast, fancy restaurant feels like a no brainer. So we, um, yeah. we went down and I remember very specifically the street next to, uh, the restaurant, there's a huge mural, which is the artwork to the first single mother's album, uh, negative qualities. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it was one of my favorite records, but it's like, and clearly stolen from that piece of artwork, but it was like huge on the wall. And I was like, that's 
what what's that doing here? We're like we're in the middle of the I guess we're in the arts district in LA, so it kind of makes sense. But like that's like a really huge personal record for me that just is just there. It, it wasn't a sign; it was just cool. You had um, no idea it was there. It was just a total surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. incredible. Um, and then we so we, we we go in and say hi and meet meet Sam, meet her head chef, and kind of like the go into the restaurant and they had a bit of banter, you know, as we do, because we're British and that's apparently a thing. Um, and we go in and, and kind of get sat down and get fed and um, all have uh, like a big group photo at the end. And I was just like, fuck it, I don't really do this ever, but I'm going to ask her for a number. And I was like, well... I can't, obviously I can't just do that. There needs to be some deception involved. So I was like, <laughs> oh, um, could you, like, can I get your number? Because, you know, the photos that were taken on your phone, like maybe you could send them over. Um, she was like, yeah, sure, no worries. Like, class, it worked. Um, so yeah, we, we we then leave and it was like, a oh, really nice time. I was like, realistically, the, the, nothing's ever going to happen because this is a a friend of my friend from L.A., and I am the person that I am and have no prospects and <laughs> I'm about to fly to the other side of the world. So like, you know, whatever. But I was like, I'll text her anyway, you know. Uh, so we get in the van and I was like, oh, I'll drive. I was in a good mood. So I pull off and Connor, our bassist, was like, oh, Nick, uh, can you text Sam and get the uh, the photos that she took? I'll put them on Instagram. He's like, yeah, sure. And I was just like, fuck. I need oh, there a new was my reason. Yeah, that was it. I He really fucking stitched me up and I'm I'm mad about it to this day um understandable yeah but uh we ended up kind of texting that night and then um just haven't stopped talking since was that's that's the the kind of long-winded version of of how we met um what what was the what reason did you finally find to text her Honestly, I don't know. I think I think I probably just thanked her for for um, you know, giving us breakfast, which I found out that she didn't just like put it on the on the house, like she paid for that for us <laughs> out of her own money. I was just like, that's really like fucked up. Thank you. But like yeah. That's amazing. Um, yeah, she did not have to do that. But um I don't I probably just thanked her and then was like I uh, just probably something cheesy, to be honest. I'm quite a confident person, but certainly when <laughs> I, c- I can talk to 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 girls quite confidently and quite easily, what I struggle with is like feeling confident in myself to the point that that someone else could have an interest in me. So like honestly, talking to people is like easy, not not a problem it's then trying to pick up on signs that someone could like want to talk to me back <laughs> is certainly where the the breakdown comes in so like it's not really not even a thing i contemplate just texting someone especially like with zero expectation of it going anywhere and that that was kind of yeah how we ended up where we are now i went out to la like uh, two weeks after that tour finished, we did. We came back from that tour. We had like a week 
off where we went to like three shows and had a rehearsal and just didn't stop. I was like, if I go out of tour time, I'm just going to die. So I kept on like going to bed at 4am every night for the week. We went back on a headline tour and did Europe and the UK, which was probably the best tour I've ever done. It was unbelievable. And then we go out and four or five days later, I think I flew out to LA and I was like, kind of terrified because truly I'd only been speaking to this girl for like a month or two and had no real idea what it was going to be like. We hadn't actually spent any time together in person as anything but casual acquaintances. And I was going out for like 10 days. So I was just like... Yeah. How did you feel when you got off that plane and you knew you were going to go see her? Were you terrified? Oh, I said, this is kind of insane. But like, I, I was fine for the first, it's like a 10 hour flight, something like that. The first four hours of the flight, I was totally cool. I was sat next to, I can't remember who it was, but the mother of someone who's in like a really big tech metal band um, she was flying out to see her son and we were just chatting about being in metal bands and, and stuff like that. It was really nice. That's pretty Totally cool. took my mind off everything. Yeah. I t- cannot remember for the life of me who it was, but she was flying over to surprise him for his birthday, which was very kind. Adorable. Metal moms. Yeah. Gotta love them. I know. So I was on the plane and I get about four hours in and then I have my crisis where I'm just like, what am I doing? This is objectively insane. Uh, like I basically don't know this person. She could be a murderer. Um, <laughs> like what if it feels really like right and nice to, to chat and to be on FaceTime. And then as soon as we get in real life, I'm like, what if I'm not attracted to you? <laughs> like totally. There was like all of these like crazy things going through my head. And I decided (laughs) I'm so glad that she kind of got this, but I decided I'd just write my stream of consciousness down. So I just like opened up a note on my phone and just started like writing my inner monologue. And, um, it was a lot like (laughs) it was, it was like just so much text. Do you still have it on your phone? Oh, almost certainly. Do you want to read it to me? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. (laughs) I'm very excited about this. Yeah, I'm just going to try and see if this is it. Huh, I must have it somewhere. Um, Oh, I've absolutely found it. Oh my god, awesome. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let me just uh, double check that none of this is insanely personal <laughs> uh, okay I'm just going to read this out this is kind of okay uh, so when I was on my flight and uh, that'll be an easy way to cut back in when I was on my flight I just started writing kind of stream of consciousness where I was at and <laughs> this is not something I ever thought would see the light of day. Uh, so I'm honored that you're going to share it. My my thinking was, yeah. You know, what what I did was I wrote this and 
basically when we landed and I got signal, I emailed it to her and then I texted her and I was like, I've just sent you an email, by the way. It's going to take me ages to get through security. And my thinking was like, well, if she can deal with my legitimate crazy, then we'll be fine. And it, I'd rather she knows now and then just doesn't turn up at the airport and like, like fucking runs at this point than, than kind of get really invested and then her find out how much of an insane person I am. So totally. Thank God. I think that's a very wise way of doing things. Yeah, I think so too. So, um, what I wrote was, (laughs) the title of the email is how was my flight? Question mark. Um, So I said, hi, I'm having so much weird anxiety about seeing you, so I decided to write you a letter that I'll send when I land. I'm currently six hours away as of time of writing this. I guess it's not anxiety because I'm not feeling dread, just quite a lot of nerves that I to the point where I could be sick. Like, I've played shows in front of multiple thousands of people and have not felt like this, and I'm now trapped in a massive tube thinking about it. Ha ha ha. I know deep down everything will be fine and this is purely because this is so big and I feel so many things and I guess I've not really faced the reality of what I'm doing until now and it's absolutely fucking mental. But coming back to reality, I'm just going to see a girl that I fancy. That's not crazy. It's a little bit of a trek, but other than that, this is very normal. I'm so excited and I think maybe a lot of this is that excitement overflowing. Either way, hi. I guess I'll literally be within the same building as you by the time I send this, so I'll see you in minutes. I am scared, but I love you. Uh, we absolutely told each other that we loved each other before we met in person, which was huge and very unlike me, uh, which I'll tell you about, I'm sure. Um, but okay, so the Wi-Fi. This I fucking paid for Wi-Fi on this flight, but this is not in the email. But I paid like thirty dollars for Wi-Fi for the whole flight, and it just kept stopping. And I was ah oh, livid. Typical. So, but okay, so the Wi-Fi stopped working on my laptop. So I'm just gonna watch films and not think about anything. I'd been working up until this point. Spider-Man: Far From Home was great, and I and I adore Tom Holland. Now I'm doing X-Men Dark Phoenix. Superheroes are very distracting. Lots going on. Mortal peril, etc. I might be sick on you, which would be horrific, hilarious, and legendary all in one. (laughs) Certainly an interesting start to the trip. I feel less nervous thinking about how hilarious that would be and the absolute numbers I'd do if I tweeted it. I'm excited to show you my Twitter accounts because I'm very funny and famous and popular. I basically napped through a good chunk of X-Men and I feel way better, calm and a little more composed. There is red wine too, which I don't know if it's helping or not, but I'm fucking drinking it. Anchorman. I've gone through a phase of watching old films I used to love, Dodgeball, Step Brothers, School of Rock and Hot Rod specifically, that I've realised aren't actually as good as I remember. Okay, bar Hot Rod and School of Rock, which were actually better than I remember. And I'm just worried this will be pants... I'll report back unless I fall asleep. This film is about San Diego, and I've now been there, and it's weird. So much pop culture is weird, as I've experienced a lot of America, and it's lost that impossible sheen that the country had. Like, I feel I understand places, and it's all smaller than the media makes it seem. I'd like to try and explain this in person, slash discuss it if I'm making any kind of sense. Hopefully this will keep you distracted long enough that you won't even realise how long you have to wait for me to go through security, etc. 
identify with Ron Burgundy so much. You don't know who I am? <laughs> I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. People know who I am. There are four hours, 27 minutes left of this flight, and now I'm just excited to see you. Uh, it's been a bit of a ride thus far. I'm assuming you've seen Anchorman, but if not, then we definitely need to watch this. The scene where he plays the flute? I see this as what it'll be like when you see me play a show. Three and a half hours left. It's getting tedious now. It's so hard to distract myself. I wish I could text you or just call you. I hate being disconnected without good reason. I mean, yeah, flying to sea was pretty much the best reason, but I guess, I mean, really without the agency or ability to change anything. I don't know. I miss you. Anchorman was as good as I remember. I've put on the motherfucking Rocky Horror Picture Show and I'm ready for it. Will I dance? Who's to say? We'll find out together. Well, not together. I'll find out in real time and you'll find out in about 3 hours and 15 minutes. Holy shit, I just deleted this entire note. But recovered it. But man, about 30 seconds of sheer panic just then. Also, this is going to be way too big to send us one text. I'm going to have to either split it up or email you. I've decided to email you and have edited the start of the message to make it look like that was my plan all along. Just know that it wasn't and I'm making this shit up on the fly. How do you feel about musicals? I've never been an avid... This is a lot, I realise. I've never been an avid fan, but I really love this. I have no idea how I got into it. I definitely don't expect answers to anything in this message because we can talk. I just want to run you through my flight for some reason. Currently flying past Lake Winnipeg. Also, I shouted about going to LA on Twitter and someone said there's an amazing national park a three-hour drive away. I'll double-check the name, but I'm sure you know slash have been. But I'd love to drive you if you can take a day next week and we'll just go out and stay over somewhere and drive and hike and just enjoy a little bit of nature. No hassle if not. We need things to do next time I come see you. I have the Wi-Fi working and I'm making progress while I watch a very sexually explicit musical. This feels very good. I am calm and content. About to fly over the Rocky Mountains. It's cloudy and I can't see shit, but nice to know they're there. One hour and 51 minutes. That's all. I can do this. I hope you're really nervous and freaking out about this too. Oh shit, I see the mountains now. This is incredible. I regret not getting the window seat, but the legroom is fantastic. I've had a pretty startling amount of wine, but I'm not even slightly drunk. Mega adrenaline rush. One hour, seven minutes. The lady I've befriended, whose son plays in Red Sea's Fire, thank God I noted that, has been mega supportive. <laughs> was just saying whether, was just saying whatever will be will be. Don't worry, just enjoy yourself. This is going to be the best. Nearly over Vegas. We should definitely do a night there. Okay, I'm ready. Seventeen minutes. This could be the start of the rest of my life. I'm okay with that. The plane literally just tipped and started its descent, and there's no pressure. If we hate this, then that's okay. We can talk about it and work out what we want to do. We will literally be fine in every possible scenario, unless the plane crashes. That would suck. I'm listening to Nervous, ironic, very loudly, and singing along very quietly under my breath. But yeah, as ever with us, we win regardless. I'm so ready to be with you. I noted that there's a whole lot of fuck all around LA. Just an observation. The last 10 minutes of this journey so far have been the worst and or longest. I'm just staring at the map. I had basically signed this letter off and have now had to carry on messaging because I'll just go mad if I have to sit here and stare at my screen any longer. Seven minutes, but I get held up in customs for five hours. Six minutes, 23 miles. That's some pace. Five minutes... Three minutes. Okay, LA is fucking huge. Holy shit. That's kind of blowing my mind. So much warehousing. Industrious. I think I see downtown. Well, I see skyscrapers. I might be being a real hick right now. 
Two minutes. Do you know the venue 1720? We played there in March. It was cool. One minute. I guess we're fucking doing this then. See you soon. <laughs> P.S. Don't read this and immediately turn around and leave the airport. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's yeah, incredibly I, romantic. Yeah, kind of. Um, which isn't usually my wheelhouse. But, so, um, well, first, how, how yeah. did she respond to that? How did, did she just mention it to you when she saw you or did she write back? She did not write back, um, <laughs> which I was like kind of expecting. Um, and truly, I feel nervous having my phone out going through security. So I just didn't really look at my phone until we had an argument over which, um, not an argument, a discussion over which uh, terminal I was flying into. And even though they announced on the plane it was going to be Terminal 6, and I texted her, she was like, well, your flight says 7, so I'm going to 7. It was 6. So after all of that, like it took me like an hour to get through security, and then I still waited for her when um, at the other end. And like, honest, like the moment that we saw each other and like we kissed for the first time then, it was just like, oh, this feels exactly how I'd always kind of imagined that it could feel to be with someone. Um, And it was just like, she found my crazy endearing and funny. So I was just like golden. Like that's about as, as bad as I get. Um, If I have a week off between tours, I kind of live in filth and lose all my motivation and kind of get a little bit depressed, which has been this week. But truly if it's any more than like a week or two, then I'm fine. I can just get into a routine. So other than that, I was like, I'm pretty easygoing and you have to accept the fact that I'm going to be on tour all the time and don't ever really earn any money. And when I'm not on tour, I won't really do much. And she's the only person I know that's busier than me. So it kind of like all of those things kind of just fell into place. Um, and, uh, yeah, I still haven't officially had a reply to that email, but <laughs> I take the the continued success of the relationship as an endorsement um, of the content therein. Maybe after this podcast comes out, she'll uh, she'll be inspired to write you back. Yeah, I can only hope so. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it up with her. <laughs> so, do you feel like the fact that you have this long distance relationship over like what six thousand miles? Yeah. Do you think that has made it a lot easier to prepare for a relationship where you're going to be gone a lot of the time anyway, even if you're in, living in the same city? Um, Kind of. Like, at the end of the day, I, I have kind of only ever really been in longer term relationships since I was like, 15 so like having a this is this kind of goes on on to to answer that like i i feel like i've i've learned a lot about relationships over the last 10 11 years and <laughs> what i found to be the key thing and other like i'm definitely not the first person to say this but like in my truly in my personal experience communication above all things is just 
the most essential thing. And I think that if you have that, and if you have that on a very real kind of a, a level that kind of ignores all other boundaries, if you have that level of communication, then you can kind of deal with anything. So yeah, I think being long distance makes it easier, will eventually make it easy, you know, like very much hope we get to live together at some point. It'll make it easier for me to go away. But truly, even if we weren't long distance, like having that levels of communication makes it easier. And we like we talk every day for however long we have free really like it's it's not it's that we don't like have a schedule or anything like that and yeah just like knowing that whatever I do and whatever kind of happens in my life there is someone that will completely and utterly accept that and and like love me for that um is really kind of astounding and truly like I've been as much of a an issue in every relationship I've been in as as the other person I wouldn't ever try and imply that you know a partner I've been with previously was the reason we broke up because that's not the case and I know that my level of communication has been less than adequate to woeful somewhere on that scale for the rest of my life and and truly it was lacking in self-confidence and lacking in confidence in a relationship. And I think also just like not really finding the right person or not finding someone that I connect with on the level that you need to, to kind of make this work. So yeah, I've lost myself rambling there. Truly. Um, it's a pretty wonderful rambling though. I think, Thank you. I mean, I was going to ask you about what, what was it that you learned from your past relationships that you can now apply to this beautiful new one that's really working for you? Yeah, tr- truly is that, that communication. And just to like, the other thing is to be very like upfront and firm about boundaries. I like to think that I, I have always been with every partner I've been with, been very understanding of them having the spe- time and space to do their own thing. So like, for example, if I was chatting on the phone with someone and they were like, oh, okay, uh, cool, I'm going to go hang up and watch the football now because my team's playing and I want to watch the football. The soccer, you know, the real football. <laughs> um, and I would be like, cool, all right, we'll chat later. And I have never been as kind of, never allowed myself to have those kind of boundaries for myself. So like, I would always put whatever I was doing or felt like I always had to put whatever I was doing on hold for someone else to the point where I would just completely shut down and then block that person out. So I'd either be like 100%, I will drop everything for you whenever you want. And to the point where usually it'd be when I went on tour and I'd just stop talking to them and be like completely in tour mode and just focus on, you know, doing whatever I need to do on that day and hanging out with my friends and like neither of those things is healthy and at all. So it's like truly about finding the, the right balance. And I now I'm in a relationship where I feel like 
I can... I literally said it the other day. The football team I support, Aston Villa, were in the Carabao Cup final. And I was on the phone to Sam and I was like, right, I'm going to go now and watch the football because truly that is more important to me than you. And she laughed and was like, cool, have fun. And <laughs> like, for me, that was such a huge moment because like, obviously I was joking, but like, really that was me saying, like, I care about you, but this is a, a small inconsequential, it's a cup final, it's, it's a big deal, but it's like in the grand scheme of things, it's sitting and watching a football game right. on TV with my mum. But that's important to me, like sharing that time with my mum and like, you know, supporting the team that I've supported since I was, literally since I was born, I came out of the hospital and Aston Villa baby grow. <laughs> like that that's like a thing that I like to do for myself and to have someone that that it's not even a conversation, that it's not even something we've ever had to talk about or even think about. Just like yeah, you can have your own life. You have that space and like it is respected that, you know, we can give each other the space to do whatever we want to do and boundaries boundaries and communication I think are probably the two most important things that I found thus far and like stuff like honesty comes under communication I think Mm -hmm. um that that's kind of where where I'm at with it do you feel like you're a particularly romantic person (laughs) I think I like to think I am um and truly, I haven't been in the past. I, I remember when I was much younger, I was like way over the top and just like from the ages of like 15 to like 18, I absolutely like thought I was head over heels with a girl called Mary who were now very good friends. And I definitely like, scared her away by just being like too much like <laughs> all the time like way too much and like Give jealous an and paranoid and just just like I would I remember very specifically like we were just like lying in her bed one day and she lived in this really lovely house in like in the middle of the countryside and she was like let's just go out for a walk like let's go do that and like now I'm just like cool that's a nice thing to do but then I was like I don't want to do anything apart from like, just like be here with you. And it was like, just like weird shit like that. (laughs) And just like, just being like, kind of like too much and like possessive. And like, I felt, I remember feeling really uncomfortable if she'd go out to a, uh, like a house party or something like that. And truly that was me, my lack of confidence in myself as a partner going, well, I feel uncomfortable with you going out and having fun with other people because I feel like you're going to meet someone you'll prefer to me. And I know that I eventually drove her away by being like that. And truly we were both kids and it like completely broke my heart. And it was looking back, it was really dumb, but it was like, you know, a thing that I had to learn. And, you know, I think that, (laughs) I think that there's no such thing as a bad experience outside of like like something that's abusive in in terms of you can have negative experiences but really you can take them as learning experiences you know that there's always a chance to learn and improve and grow as a person from every 
negative encounter you have. And that's something that I really have started to learn. And like through talking through like a lot of my past with Sam, it's like, wow, like I both put up with and did some kind of fucked up stuff. And I like can't even, even like a year ago, don't even recognize the person that I was compared to how I am now. And truly like, I wasn't really a happy person for a long time. Like before the end of last year, I really kind of like turned things around. And do you feel like Sam helped you with those things? Or do you feel like you confronting those things helped you meet Sam and build a good relationship with her or both? Definitely both like her and, and Nick, honestly, again, Nick is the driver. Uh, I Nick is the driver. Yeah, we we're referring to him as Nick from now on. Excuse I me. Yes. Come out. <laughs> Pardon <laughs> me. <laughs> um, I he has a does well believes in a thing called POP, power of positivity, and truly like he has that tattooed on his neck, and he <laughs> lives and breathes that shit. Like whatever, he's the best person to have on tour because like. You're, you know, a sh- this didn't happen, but like a show's been cancelled, your accommodation's fallen through, and your amp's broken. Nick's like, right, POP, we're here together, you know, we got our friends, we got our health, like, let's just go out there and fucking do it. And like, the dude was amazing. And having someone with that attitude when I was going through, like, truly, I was going through a breakup about the same kind of time I met Sam, and Nick and Sam were the two people that really helped me get through that and helped me like realize that I need to be responsible for my own happiness and I can't rely on a partner. I can't really rely on anyone else to make me happy for me, you know? Um, So really this like, positivity thing is something that I do try and live by and it's something like my dad's always kind of taught me something my dad told me from I think speaking about love I definitely talk about my parents um so my dad taught me from like a very young age and he was like look whatever you do in your life whatever happens I am not gonna judge you for it I'm just going to help you with it. So the example you always used to give was, it was like, right, if you get married and come to me the day after your wedding and go, I've made a horrible mistake. I've, or, you know, like a week after I've thought through it, you know, I don't know what to do. I need help. My dad was like, he's, he trusts me and and respects me to the point that he knows that I'm not going to have just made a flippant decision. He's not going to chastise me. He knows that, I've already chastised myself in every way possible in my own head before coming to someone else to ask for help. So all he's going to do is support me and go, right, what do we do? Like, how do we fix this? How can I, how can I help? And having like that level of unconditional love and support from my family, my mom's the same, probably a little less immediately chill. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, having that kind of level of love and, and understanding from my family has definitely influenced the way that I deal with 
with situation. So like I, I'm a music manager full time now, um, and I do you know, bits of touring work. And hopefully the band <laughs> would be nice if we ever earn any money. But like I deal with a lot of stressful situations, and and I think have always tried to be a force for how can we fix this as opposed to why the fuck is this like this? You know, it, it's, it, and it stresses me out when other people don't match that, to be honest. If I, if I come to the, this happened the other day, we're like doing budgeting for our next album and the, the plans we wanted to do were very out of budget compared to what we're going to have to look at. And I'd spent all morning. This was the same day that our van got totaled. Um, and we had to find a new van. Oh my uh, gosh. A couple of my bands that I was dealing with had a load of issues. Uh, I was getting sick and thought I had coronavirus. Um, like, there was like everything happened on this one day. And we get this news about the budgeting. And I messaged the band group chat and I'm like, can you, like, here's where we're at. Um, like, it, basically the facts. And I was about to go on to say, um, you know, but like, let's look, you know, we can apply for funding. We can do X, Y, Z. We can, you know, just like try and not just go, well, we're fucked, you know? P.O.P. Yeah, P.O.P. You get it. Um, and immediately one of the other people in the, in the chat just chimed in and was like, well, this is shit, isn't it? Like, um, word to the effect of, well, this is fucked. And I was like, I just lost it. I was just like, well, if you're going to be like that, I don't know why I should spend the next six to 12 months of my life working every day on making this record happen for no pay. If you're just going to take that attitude and just like mute the chat and lost it. I was just like, I need people to be on that same level with me and, and like be willing to approach problems from an, from a, a position of, like yes we all understand this situation is fucked but like talking about that and sat wallowing about it does not fix it like we learn from it and then we fix it you know mm-hmm. um and i think like the atmosphere growing up with my parents was something that definitely kind of got me to my current way of thinking that's really amazing you know it's funny something you mentioned before was about you know like going through your life and making sure that you're holding yourself accountable for the mistakes that mm. you make or the the feelings that you inflict on another person or um you know being too much at times or being or like combing through why you feel jealous or things like that is kind of like mm. the concept in Yob's clearing the path to ascend. Like that that's what the title's all about. Like Oh, I did not know that. that yeah, it's sense. really like if you want to ascend to whatever that means to you, you know, like mm. be a better person, get a promotion at your job, be more spiritual, become happy if you're depressed, like whatever ascending means to you, then you have mm. to do the work and you have to put in the time and the effort and the accountability that that it takes to do that. So I think it's really cool. That kind of comes full circle. <laughs> you said that That's band wild. really um, inspired Conjurer. And then here you are kind of talking about those same things in your own personal life. 
I had no idea that was. Uh, I'm absolutely gonna have to listen to that again and read through the lyrics. That's wild. Definitely. Oh man, it's such an amazing album too. I feel like I cry every yeah. time I listen to it. It's definitely from that show. You know the uh, the sample is like time to wake up, and then it like kicks in to mm-hmm. the main riff. Mike screamed that live, and it was just like silence. She went time to wake up, and then just oh, it was. Amazing. Oh my god, that's so I can I can like really like visualize that exact moment. To to wrap this up, why don't you tell me what's your go-to breakup record? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Go-to breakup record. So I would probably do like something really fucked up and just listen to whatever my partner at the time wasn't into (laughs) so like all the stuff that I'd like probably not heard as much in however long I was with that partner I would like get really into so like I dated a girl for a bunch of years that was like really into pretty much the same music that I am um so like listen to way more like pop punk and you know emo stuff stuff with clean singing in it uh when we broke up um i i guess like i don't really use music in that way i try and stay up to date with with current music and releases and you know there's never enough time to listen to everything even i I feel like even when it's your job like there's never enough time to listen to everything it's literally my Um, job and there's not enough hours in the day yeah So I have one last question for you, which kind of ties into that. And that is, well, just to give a little bit of backstory, I feel like Conjurer really is like one of the most cathartic bands I've ever heard. So incredibly heavy and so aggressive and so just pure anger. Like, it's like, Mm. I remember having a conversation with my coworker, Chris at Kerrang one day when he was, it was the day after we saw you guys actually. And we're talking about how so many people would describe cradle of filth or something and their imagery as being really evil and really like Mm. it's so satanic and stuff. But when you see conjurer like that, that's what evil sounds like, (laughs) you know, it's like, like you you feel it in your bones. You're like, Oh my God, this guy is so angry, especially when Dan, (laughs) you know, leaves the microphone to go scream at the audience and you can hear him audibly over everything in the bar and, the talking of the people and the amplifiers ringing and everything. Mm. I don't know how he does that. It's amazing. But in any case, you know, you hear a band like that and it wouldn't be your first thought to think the dudes in this band love their girlfriends and they're so sweet. And they're so, they're the kind (laughs) of people that would sit on a plane and, and write a letter for six hours to the love of their life. Do you, do you feel Mm. like there is a weird misconception about metal singers or or metal musicians, especially men and their feelings. I think, yeah, I think from within the scene, everyone that's like even sets a toe in it gets it immediately. Like I remember when I was first getting into metal, my mom was like, Oh, you know, I used to like Ozzy Osbourne back in the day and like Marillion. And then, now she like I walk downstairs and she's like listening to the new Trivium song before I even knew there was one <laughs> cool. out. Like she's like 
way into it. Trivium is um, a good mom band, I think. Oh, absolutely. Trivium, Slipknot, Rammstein, like a few. If few my mom, bits, if I caught um, my mom listening to Rammstein, I would die. I would be so happy. <laughs> she took her. She took her boyfriend to see them like uh, the other month oh when they God. came around. She was like, "We're going," and he's like, not into heavy music at all, but like loved it. He was converted as well. He was like, "It was amazing." Wow, that's great. Yeah, um, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. So like, I remember getting into metal, and my mom was like, "I could tell like a little bit nervous, especially like I dyed all my hair black and had like." Or like a Cradle of Filth shirt, and all it was, it was, it was a mess. Um, and then as soon as she like met the people in the scene and met my friends and met my band members, like completely understood that it was, it was all of the misconceptions like throughout society were like just that misconceptions. Um, I think that people within metal most of like the really sweetest people I know in the world that I've I've met through metal, like Nick Harris is, is like honestly one of the best humans I truly believe to exist. And it's like a fucking six foot five, absolutely ripped monster, like smashing the shit out of a drum kit, like looks terrifying, but you know, like would, would, you know, do anything for his friends. Like, there there are a lot of like you say misconceptions and and i think it's it's becoming easier for people to talk about you know emotions mental health like all of these kinds of of hot button issues metal's always been a place where you can kind of access that shit like look at bloodstock festival in the uk they have a stage named after Sophie Lancaster, a girl that was um, killed in a, like, because she was a, a metalhead, um, like, just uh, attacked randomly, and the Sophie Lancaster Foundation are, like, one of the charities that benefit from the festival, that go to kind of helping people with metal, like, all of these kind of communities within heavy music are so important and so ingrained within the culture, and like you're you're talking about a group of people that have had to each individually work to get into a sound that isn't naturally enjoyed by humans like no baby is going to want to listen to fucking the first Behemoth record you know like it it's 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 not sounds that we're naturally drawn to maybe in like a primal way but you have to put the work in to get there and I think that that just opens it up to, to like you know that if someone's someone's come to a show and they're like watching a band where a guy's screaming or like you know that there's there's a musician up there yelling and they're going this is cool, you know you have that respect for them to go you've put the work in to get to the point where you appreciate this and I think it fosters better relationships between people. I think there's a lot more. As soon as as soon as you get into more cerebral music, like anything above Five Finger Death Punch, you know, <laughs> like I feel like people have really like, you know, but like you know, where, where it, it's difficult in accessible music, and and people have a level of understanding. I think people are way more open to 
talking about that kind of stuff. And I think you tend to find people in less accessible bands are more intru- introspective and, and more, um, more willing to access deeper parts of themselves and, and share it with people. Like the, there's a track, uh, thankless on our record which is basically about like straight white privilege almost like it's it's dan going i feel fucking miserable and i have literally no reason to because everything in my life is great and i have really amazing supportive family great friends my band's very successful and i sometimes think about wanting to kill myself and it's like you know, but th- within a record that is quite, you know, based around hatred and, and sadness, there is this space for introspection and people don't go, ah, oh, why are you talking about that? You know, if, if people either don't care, which is perfectly valid, or will look into it and go, okay, you're you're trying to say something, you know? Um, and I think that, yeah, there is certainly in this day and age, there's... Uh, a space for people to talk about the things that they're actually passionate about. You don't have to put up a front. You don't have to be the, Oh, I'm, I'm the, the super machismo, like hardcore front man anymore. Like, yeah, that still exists, but it's like, fine. If you're not, you know, like (laughs) obviously from speaking to me and, and like meeting the guys, we are pathetic as people (laughs) truly we do not live up to the um the 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 image conjured up by the music i regret that immediately yeah i see what you did there yeah i I fucking hate myself for it though no i like it i like it uh yeah so like i i think it's a very interesting topic i i think it's gonna be It's something that I'm more comfortable talking about now than I have ever been, truly. Um, And at the end of the day, I think people, personally, I and we as a band make better art and, like, function better when we're happy. And I know that sounds very obvious, but there's this stereotype of people functioning on dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And, like, you need to be depressed or or like addicted to something or you know like xyz to access your inner artist and yeah like a lot of the especially on this new record that we're writing in the minute like a lot of the concepts behind it are based around fear and guilt and shame and a lot of those things it's kind of a look inside Dan's head and it's fucking terrifying to be honest um but like he is going into that really dark place that sometimes acts, you know, he has to live within and, and sharing that with people. And I think for him, that's a form of therapy and allows him to be a happier person. Like to see, speaking of people I love, like he's someone that I love. Seeing him come from. Five years ago, we'd hang out for a weekend and he wouldn't be able to look me in the eye. And he was, you know, you'd get like five words out of him, you know, an hour. Whereas now he's like very 
functional and like going on tour for like two months at a time in America and all of these things that I was like, you will never, I'm sorry, but like, you will never do that. That's never going to happen. And like seeing someone grow and evolve and like become the kind of person they've always wanted to be through doing this and through that negative expulsion every night almost. And, and, you know, talking about some really horrific concepts for our artwork that are very personal and, and to him to see all of that come through and allow someone to express themselves and, and be a happier person I think is what this kind of music is all about. It it should be a a path. It's like that's clearing the path to ascend. Like it's it's doing all of the work and kind of clearing through the bullshit to allow yourself to let that stuff go. Um that's something that I definitely do every night with performing. You know, if if we've if I've had a some shit going on in my life, I put that into my performance and I feel better for it. It's catharsis. It's, you know, it's a, a real thing. And yeah, if, if people aren't willing to talk about that within music, I find that baffling because I think it's such an, especially heavy music, it's such an emotionally driven art form that, yeah, it's, it's like the two are intrinsically linked. That's a really beautiful, beautiful way of putting that. And, um, you you know, it's interesting being a fan and describing your music as very cathartic to listen to or to see, like, it's like an overwhelming experience to see Conjurer, Mm. but to know that on stage, you're getting the same thing out of it is incredible. Not every night. Some nights it fucking sucks. (laughs) (laughs) But but when everything, when everything comes together, yeah, it's definitely, definitely more than just playing some songs. But sometimes it's just playing some songs. <laughs> just like every job, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, Brady, thank you so much for doing this. Um, where can people no find worries. your music? And where can they find you online? Honestly, if I have to tell them, like, just don't bother. Like, if you can't find the Kundra album <laughs> on <laughs> on the internet, wherever you normally listen to music, like... Go to a record store and buy it. Just do that. Like I, I yeah, I'm no, I'm gonna do a serious answer because that's really dumb. Um, we have an album called Maya, and it's some songs about us being sad, out via Holy Roll Records, which you can go to and buy it with real money, or Death Wish in the states. Um, and we have a a really happy record called Curse These Metal Hands, which is the exact opposite of the country record, um, same places. And we did a, just put out a cover split with our friends in Palm Reader where we covered Mastodon and Slipknot, which was a lot of fun. And we're going to put out a new record next year, uh, Holy Royal UK Nuclear Blast, Rust of World. And it's going to be really fucking miserable and probably quite long. Good. That's perfect. That's, that's what we want from Contra. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Bring us the misery. I mean, Kersey's Metal Hands is a beautiful, uplifting, incredible record. So if you guys decide to do another one of those too, I will not complain, but we've, bring the misery We've written too. a new song. Good. I can't wait to hear it. It's got banjo in it. Oh my it's God. Sick. 
<laughs> I love me some banjo, man. Absolutely. Anyway, thank you again so oh. so so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the uh, the recorder off now. <laughs> Sensible. <laughs> This episode of Hot-Blooded was hosted, written, and produced by me, Kat Jones. It was edited by Evan Dulaney, and the theme song was written by Jordan Olds. The logo was drawn by Corey Largent, who goes by Insane Clam Pasta on Instagram, and additional graphics were made by Jonathan Amaya. Special thanks to Matt Benton and Chris Cravaton. I also want to give a huge thank you to the people who subscribe to the Lover tier on Patreon. Janet Talenko-Davis, Mark Bassett, Rob Menzer, Ryan Cardi, Ronnie Rodriguez, and the band Drug Salad. If you love this podcast and you want me to keep making more, subscribing on Patreon is the best way to help out. Um, this is 100% DIY with no ads or distribution, so every cent makes a huge difference. See you next week, and until then, FaceTime with people you love and make sure you go on lots of long walks. Just make sure you wear a mask, you ding-dongs. Ding-dongs.